Chapter Thirteen of Captain Salt in Oz by Ruth Plumley Thompson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirteen, The Sea Forest. Tandy had to call Samuel twice before he would come to breakfast, and when he finally did sit down, he was so busy preparing to explore the sea forest he ate scarcely a bite. We'll take the jolly boat he decided, making long notes in his journal between his sips of coffee. The small nets and knives and baskets for cuttings and any specimens we may pick up, and— "'Why the jolly boat, when we have a jolly sea-going hippopotamus?' inquired Roger, elevating one eyebrow. "'A jolly hippopotamus, I might add, who runs under her own power and saves us the trouble of rowing.' Roger was much annoyed because he had failed to catch a flying fish before breakfast, and instead of eating his hard-boiled eggs, kept winging over to the open port to glare at his finny rivals. Tandy, like the captain, was too excited to eat, and even Atto downed his omelette and fresh strawberries from the pecan-spire fruit vine with rare speed and indifference. "'It's a lucky thing you're so enormous, Kobo,' puffed the ship's cabin-boy dropping down on the raft a few minutes later. Atto's got his crab-net and fishing-lines, Samuel's bringing an aquarium, a couple of baskets and a box, and I have this pail, my paints, and a cage, in case Roger does manage to catch one of those flying fish. Kobo was staring fixedly at her vegetable vine as Tandy dropped down beside her, and now, snapping off a whole bushel of beans, she turned round and, munching contentedly, surveyed the excited boy at her side. "'Whatever you have can be hung to my harness,' she assured him, speaking a bit thickly through the beans. "'But turn the point of that scimitar up instead of down. You wouldn't want to carve old Kobo now, would you? It will seem funny swimming through a forest, won't it, little king?' The further we go on this voyage, the queerer everything grows. "'But I like it queer,' stated Tandy, climbing with a satisfied little sigh on Nickaboo's broad back. "'I, too, find it most interesting and jolly,' agreed the hippopotamus, fastening her eyes dreamily on the vegetable vine to see what was coming up next. I thought I might be on short rations when I came on this voyage, Tandy, <laughs> but I declare to goodness I've never had such a rich and varied diet in my life. You too look fine and strong and much happier than when we met in the jungle. But to get back to the fair, why, today I've had a basket of biscuits, a bushel of beans, and that makes it bean and biscuit day, I suppose, giggled Tandy remembering Kobo's strange way of dividing up her week. But look, listen, here they come. Ahoy below! Hip, hip, apotamus, ahoy! roared Samuel Salt jovially from above. All ready to cast off, my lass? Aye, aye, sir, grinned Kobo, as Samuel and Atto came panting down the rope ladders to the craft. Move over, Tandy, and make room for the cook and the captain. It took nearly ten minutes to get all the gear and crew aboard, and Nickaboo looked like some curious deep-sea monster when she finally shoved off. Two large baskets were slung from ropes across her back. The pail and birdcage slapped up and down on one hip, the aquarium on the other, 
and through her collar various fishing-rods, nets, and poles were stuck like quills on a porcupine. "'Now, whatever you do, don't submerge,' warned Samuel, holding his tin-box for especially fragile specimens high above his chest to keep it dry. "'Just slow and steady, molass, so we'll have time to observe and admire and make notes of any strange growths and creatures as we ride along.' "'Creatures!' exclaimed Tandy, twisting round. He was perched on Nickaboo's head, his paints held carefully in his lap. "'Would there be any wild animals in a sea-forest, Master Salt?' "'Sea lions, likely,' predicted Samuel, peering round eagerly as Nickaboo paddled between two slippery-barked sea-trees into the murmuring forest itself except for the fact that the floor of this curious sea-wood was blue and restless sea, it might almost have been a forest ashore. The trees, tall, straight, and stately, towered up toward the sky. Staring down into the clear green water, Tandy saw their trunks going down, 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 as far as he could see. Rooted in the very ocean bed, marveled Samuel Salt, touching one lovingly as they passed. What splendid masts these would make, mates! A vast and belay, Nickaboo, I believe I'll just take a cutting or two. Ha-ha! roared Atto, peering over Samuel's shoulder. So now we're going to grow our own masts. Samuel himself, leaning far out over Nickaboo's back, severed three young shoots from the sea-tree and popped them happily into the aquarium. Vines that were really of coral ringed the gigantic trunks like bracelets, and the leaves of the trees were long ribbons of green and silver that whipped and fluttered like banners in the morning breeze. "'What's that?' puzzled Atto, as the hippopotamus made her way leisurely between the trees. "'Looks like mushrooms, Sammy. Wait, I'll just pick me a few and see.' Hooking his heels in Nickaboo's harness, Atto began vigorously cutting from the trunks of one of the trees the colored fungus growths which sprouted in great profusion just above the waterline. Nickaboo bravely offered to sample some, and, after waiting anxiously to see whether they would have any ill effects, the ship's cook declared they were harmless and joyfully filled one of the baskets. The only specimens that really interested Atto were of the edible variety. While he was thus employed, Tandy, an experienced climber by now, scurried up to the top of one of the sea-trees, breaking off several branches so Samuel could press the curious leaves in his album. High above his head Tandy could see Roger chasing angrily after a flying fish, muttering with anger at his unsuccessful efforts to overtake the nimble little seabird. In our own southern waters there are large flying fish that leap out of the water of the Gulf Stream, but the flying fish in this nonastic sea forest were small, and where most fish have gills wore strong transparent wings. Their claws, somewhat like a crab's, made it possible for them to perch jauntily in the branches of the sea-trees, and these strange little fellows could swim and dive as well as fly. Pulling out his pad, Tandy made a lively sketch of one in the tree opposite, for it did look as if Roger would never succeed in catching one. 
all morning Nickaboo paddled calmly through the dreamy sea forest, Samuel making notes, Tandy sketches, and Atto catching in his long-handled nets plump little fish and crabs, and filling another basket with the small delicious clams that clung like barnacles to the slippery bark of the sea-trees. In the shadowy center of the forest where the trees pressed closer together and great flat rocks stuck their heads out of the water, the explorers came upon several fierce sea-lions. They were not smooth and shiny like the seals of our own oceans, but yellow and tawny with long yellow tusks, tufted tails, and scaly manes. Their front legs ended in sharp claws. Their back legs were shorter, and their feet were webbed for swimming. Only the fact that Nickaboo was larger and more frightening to the sea-lions than they were to her saved the party from a savage attack by these malicious-looking monsters. As it was, they retired sullenly into the deeper shadows, snarling and roaring defiance as they backed away, but not before Tandy had made an effective sketch of the whole group. "'Tis a lucky thing for us that you're along,' grunted Atto, drawing his feet up out of the water and looking with grim disfavor after the snarling sea-lions. Likely as not, if you had not made that picture, Samuel would have tried to drag one along by its tail, regardless of our feelings or safety. A wild-maned sea-lion would be a valuable addition to any collection," sighed Samuel Salt, shaking his head regretfully. But then, he grinned in his sudden pleasant way, not much of a mascot at that. The only other happening of note was Roger's capture of a monkey-fish. Unable to overtake a flying fish, the reed-bird had pounced on this small combination of a land and water beast as it sat quietly sunning itself on the limb of a tree. Screaming and chattering he bore it proudly down to the captain and Samuel was so pleased with the curious little creature that when Nickaboo suggested going back he made no serious objection. And as the hippopotamus, rather weary from her long swim, headed thankfully back for the ship, Tandy and Samuel made ambitious plans for the monkey-fish's care and comfort. Thrusting it into Tandy's birdcage, Samuel regarded it with increasing enthusiasm and interest. I'll rig up a wooden tree in one of the aquariums, set the aquarium in one of the large cages so it'll have both air and water, and call it Roger after its discoverer," beamed the former pirate with a wink at Tandy. "'Don't you dare call that monkey-fish after me!' screeched the reed-bird, flying round to have another look at his strange prize. "'Why, it's uglier than a blue monkey. Looks like a regular goblin, if you ask me.' And to tell the truth, the monkey-fish was even uglier than a goblin, shaped like a monkey, but scaled all over, and with unpleasant goggly eyes and three short spikes sticking out of its forehead. It does look like a goblin, agreed Tandy, with an amused sniff. But let's call it Mophy, which is short for fish and monkey. Tip-topsails, approved Samuel Salt, taking out his notebook. Wonder what it eats? "'Great-grandmothers, what would it eat?' moaned Atto, looking blankly at Samuel. "'Another mouth to feed and listen to, dear, dear, and dear.' "'Oh, give it a box of animal crackers,' put in Roger carelessly. 
No, I brought along some goldfish food for such an emergency as this, declared Samuel, making a little flourish with his pencil as he wrote busily in his journal. Goldfish food will be splendid for a monkeyfish. Well, don't forget the bananas, for remember it's a monkey, too, chirped Roger, settling on the captain's shoulder to read what he had written. So, laughing and joking, and in the highest good humor, the exploring party returned to the crescent moon. What with planting the slips from the sea-tree, settling Mofi in his aquarium cage, pressing the leaves from the marine forest, and making copies and further notes about the sea lions in his journal, Samuel did not get his ship under way till late afternoon. Ramming into the sea-tree, beyond scraping off some paint, had done little damage, so singing boisterously, Samuel finally heaved up his anchor, and soon, with Atto stirring up a huge clam chowder, Pandy painting the sea forest on the chart, and Roger scouring the hole for Mofi's fish food, the crescent moon again dipped adventurously into the southeast swell. End of chapter 13